0: Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. point that we turn to god's holy word and the rest of our service is spent meditating upon what god has said and who he's calling us to be our first reading is from the prophet jeremiah i'm not going to read it but in the setup to this the first two readings are from jeremiah and then psalm 1 and both have a very similar metaphor they compare us to trees okay and a tree is good when it produces fruit right and so very advantageous to a tree i don't know if anybody's ever looked at a satellite view of the nile river in, in uh, Africa, it flows north and empties into the Mediterranean. It's surrounded by desert. And then if you look at the satellite view, all of a sudden it's just this green strip because uh, plants grow very nicely next to bodies of water. And so in both of these readings, we are compared metaphorically to trees planted by water that produce fruit in due season. And so what, what we're going to hear this Jeremiah passage, and then I'm going to ask you Okay, what does the fruit represent? Um, and then also, what's the warning here? Because in both it says some people are good and they're like trees and other people are not good and they're not like these trees. What's the difference? What, what things does it focus on that make, hopefully we're the good ones, right? Hopefully we're the ones, well, I just about answered my own question. Let's talk about what makes the good trees good and, um, and then we'll move along. So I'd welcome our first reader forward.
1: Our first reading is from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10, which you can find on page 1203 of your Pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure can understand it I the Lord search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct according to what their deeds deserve this is the word of the Lord
0: okay so I think we'll come back to what is the fruit being produced let's answer the question though what's the difference between the people who are trees planted by water versus the bushes in the desert what do they do differently did anybody catch it in this reading so they do serve the Lord, but what do they not do? What what do the what do the bushes do that the trees don't do? Cursed is the one who huh who trusts in man. That's the thing it focuses on here. It's an idolatry of trusting in people. Okay? And a lot of people nodded their heads in Delaware whenever I was talking about this. Oh, yeah, trusting in people over God, that's bad, that's bad. And I said, okay, well, okay, what's it talking about specifically here? Does anybody do this? And they looked at me for a little bit, and then they said some uncomfortable things. So I'm going to let you say some uncomfortable things. How do people idolize other people? How do other people put their trust in people rather than God? Where do we see this in the world? Actors? Did you say actors? Okay, yeah, some people, they watch the Golden Globes, and, oh, look at them and their dresses, and, oh, they're so handsome. I don't identify with this. I think that's silly. I'm sorry, guys. If anyone's into—well, I'm not sorry, actually. If you're offended, you should be. <laughs> it's silly. Don't worship celebrities. Okay, other other people we want to put our trust in? Government. Government. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah, we we live in a culture that very much worships politics, Um and when you turn on the news, it really points you toward uh, certain figures. The, uh, a great example was our our, uh, not current, well, maybe our current president a little bit. I'm sure there are some churches that just think Joseph Biden is just the greatest thing since sliced cheese. I don't know. But I know there were a lot of churches that really thought Donald J. Trump was the second coming of the Messiah. Not quite literally, but they loved that guy. Whatever he was about, they were about And really, that's not a healthy relationship with any politician, whether or not you agree with their platform, whether or not you like their party. And do not hear me saying it's bad to like a politician or it's bad to like a political party, but it is bad to put your trust in people. Psalm 126 says flat out, do not put your trust in princes and men in whom there is no hope. Put your trust instead in the Lord God who made heaven and earth. We want to put our trust in politicians. That we like. I'll tell you, one of the politicians I really liked was Dan Crenshaw, and then he said something really icky the other day about trading stocks while you're in office, and I just thought, Dan, what are you doing, man? But I can handle that because I don't put my trust in Dan Crenshaw. I put my trust in the Lord. But there are a lot of people who, well, heck, if, if Donald Trump said it, well, then I've changed my mind, and I'm with him all the way. Or, hey, if the Democrat Party says this, well, I, I ch- this is a way that we can really elevate people to a place they don't belong. Politics is one of them. What's the really uncomfortable one? What's the really uncomfortable place that some people put their trust in other people that they shouldn't? Oh, the church. Man, I didn't even expect that, Janice. That hurts me in my inner parts. Yeah, but no, I've seen, a, uh, there's a meme that gets passed around sometimes saying, if you dropped out of church because your church treated you wrong, then your trust wasn't in Jesus. Your trust was in the church, you know, and there is something to that, you know. I don't go super far in that direction because the church is supposed to be the people of God. We are supposed to be able to depend on each other. But if my faith depends on anyone here, well, then I've set myself up to fail. My faith depends on one person alone, and that's Christ Jesus. So, yeah, that hurt me more than I was counting on, Janice. Thank you for that. The, the one that hurts that I was looking for is family. We have a, the number one thing that competes for our affections is family. 100% of the time and family is made up of people, but you'll find all kinds of people that will Compromise their faith based on who they're related to and if something's a sin But i'm a related to someone who did it. Well, guess what? I don't want to hear about that anymore That is an easy form of idolatry Or you know another one that i've i've given you all a hard time about families in town and oh pastor I'm, not going to be there this sunday. I'm going to hang out with family. No bring your family to church That's where your family belongs in worship Is there anything better? Let me ask you an easy softball question. Is there anything more important to do with your life than worship the living Lord? No, Pastor. No. The most important thing. I know sometimes worship is not immediately, you know, I heard about Bob and Margie went over to one of those bounce places yesterday with all those trampolines. That sounds like a lot of fun. I totally get the appeal. This is better than that. This is better than any movie. This is better than any family dinner. This is better than anything the world has to offer. Now, it's not to say don't do those things. It's just to say put your priorities in place. And the moment people try to take the place of God is the moment your faith becomes void. And we're going to hear more about that in our first Corinthians reading. The only other things that I want to highlight from this. I love you guys. I'm saying hard things and y'all are just smiling at me like, Jeffrey, you're such a jerk and we love you. (laughs) It's really good for me. Thank you, folks. I really like being able to just say what these. We got a couple other hard passages coming up today. I'm fully convinced we can take it. And we can put these things to practice because y'all know, y'all know, I'm not saying you should feel ashamed for loving other people. I'm just saying, put things in their proper place. That's all I'm saying. That's what Jesus will say here in a bit. Now here's another hard thing. This was in Jeremiah 17 verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it. Is that good news or bad news? That's bad news. (laughs) Who here has a heart? If you don't raise your hand, I'm worried about you. <laughs> I give you all easy softball ways to engage. I have a heart. I'm not raising my hand, though. <laughs> Everybody here has a heart. All of us. Who here has feelings? You know, the, the heart is the seat of feelings. It is very difficult to have strong feelings and to go, know what? My heart is deceitful and beyond cure. I cannot trust my heart. Well, if you can't trust your heart, what can you trust? I just set you up for this. What do we trust if oh, you just you can't even say it? That guy up there. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, the, the the father. Yeah, we trust the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, even when it, our hearts do not testify to its truth. You know, this is how all sin gets justified. Why do people sin? It's not because they're idiots. It's because they're following their hearts. Sin feels good. Sin, sin sounds right. It's just that it isn't. And we need to learn to deny our hearts so that we can walk in righteousness. If you don't learn to deny your heart, you're done for. doesn't matter how much you say you love Jesus, you're never going to choose him. Your heart is always going to whip you around. Satan is so good. He's got little hooks. He just hooks your heart around. He just yanks you wherever you want to go. It's like, you know, when you got those, I know I've talked about this from the pulpit before. You, you got a bull and you got its nose pierced and you can just yank it around wherever you want by its nose. That's That's what we're like. And Satan has got our hearts pierced, and he can just yank us around wherever we want until we get that freedom from, from sin from our hearts. And then we go, no, I'm going where God directs me to go. It says it's beyond cure. This is written before Jesus. The tradition we're a part of says sanctification is possible. The, the cure for sin is Jesus. And we're going to talk about this in our, our New Testament lesson, but did anybody notice? The bulletin image today? For as in Adam all die, this is Adam on the left, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's Christ on the right. You see the the blood on his hands from the piercing. So Christ is the one who gives us the new birth, who frees us from the power of sin and saves us from the slavery to sin that we have. So we're going to talk about that more. Um, The last final thing to focus on was in verse 10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. This is called judgment. And does God judge? Is he a gracious judge? Yes, He is a gracious judge. He's merciful. Oh man, I'm so glad He doesn't judge me for all my sins. That's why we have a cross right in the center of the worship space. We remember that Christ's atoning blood covers our sins and makes us worthy of the kingdom despite our sin. But even so, does God punish unpenitent sin? Absolutely. It's the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God punishes sin. May we never forget. We can never be lackadaisical about sin. God looks at how we live. He judges accordingly. Let's do something right about that. Let's move on with worship for now. All right, Psalm one. It's on page seven thirty-eight of your hymnals. We're doing um response one. Sounds like this
2: walk in the light of God's counsel delight in the law of the lord let's sing that together walk in the light of god's counsel delight
0: in the law of the lord before we do the reading just to be clear what is god's law what's the law of the lord We're saying delight in the law of the Lord. What are we saying we should delight in? Preacher's wife. What's the law of the Lord? Scripture. His word. Guys, that was an easy one. Wake up. Wake up. When we're saying delight in the law of the Lord, we're saying enjoy reading your Bibles. That's what we're singing at each other right now, okay? Every time we come back, walk in the light of God's counsel. Okay, where's his counsel? Well, it's in here. Delight in the law of the Lord. That's what we're singing about. That's what we're talking about through here. All right, so let's, uh, let's read. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. They are like trees planted by streams of water that yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither.
2: Walk in the light of God's counsel. Delight in the law of the
0: Lord. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the of the will walk in the
2: light of god's counsel delight in the
0: So you saw it was exactly the same metaphor as before. Those who please the Lord are like these trees that are planted by a river or a stream. So that even when um, droughts come, they're still producing fruit. Now, I forgot to hit on that in the last reading. That's where it talked about even when a drought comes, you can rest secure. You're still going to produce fruit. Given that this is a metaphor for us and our lives. Have you ever had a time in your life where it feels like you're in a drought? You just haven't gotten much Sustenance, much nurture. You feel like, man, I'm just really beat up. I'm, I'm pushing rope. I don't have much to offer. There are a lot of people who get to such a point in their life and they go, you know what? My religious life needs to take a backseat. I need to take a break from this. I need to just be, I'm in emergency mode. I just need to focus on bare necessities. But the thing is, if our roots grow deep and we're fed by the living waters, then there is no scenario where we can't be expected to bear fruit. Jesus tells a story of a, a guy tending an orchard. And he comes and he's looking at a tree and it's just not bearing fruit. And he tells a worker, this tree's not bearing fruit. Just cut it down. It's wasting our water. And the guy says, let me put some manure around it. Come back in a couple months. And then if it's not producing fruit, then, then we'll cut it down. And the notion there is God is visiting our lives all the time expecting fruit. And if he doesn't find it, well, do you remember what Jesus did whenever he expected fruit from that fig tree and it didn't have any? Do you remember what he did to that fig tree? He cursed it. It shriveled up, and it died. And that also is a metaphor for us. If we refuse to bear fruit for the Lord, and there's always going to be an excuse. There is always going to be an excuse why someone else can be expected to do this stuff, but I can't. I'm too weak, I'm too dumb, I'm too poor, whatever. The metaphor here is, if your roots grow deep in Christ, you can always bear fruit for the Lord, no matter what season you're in. So, in the first reading, the difference between those who are... Trees planted by water and who were not. They were bushes in the wilderness in that one. What was the difference? It was whether or not they trust in the Lord or trust in other people. Remember that? What's the difference between here? It's trees that bear fruit versus chaff, which the wind drives away. What's the difference that it focuses here on Psalm 1? What's the difference between them? There it is. Yes. All right. Yeah. Those who attend upon God's law versus those who don't. And that's it. If you attend upon God's word day and night, and that's what it means, day and night, you know, every day it's a part of your life. If you're attending upon God's word, you're going to be like a tree planted by water, bearing fruit in due season. Your life is just going to pour forth blessings to God and to other people. But if not, then no matter what you do, you are not a blessing. This is one of the things that was hard for me to understand before I became a, a, a believer. I believe that God was pleased with good actions no matter who was doing them, Muslim, atheist, whatever. A biblical perspective is, unless you're right with Jesus, nothing you do pleases the Lord. Absolutely, you can feed a million people. You can create a million domestic abuse shelters. You can, you can donate a million dollars to the poorest nation on earth. None of that pleases the Lord. It's all disgusting in his sight until you are right with God. Isn't that a scandalous thing to believe? Uh, That seems really mean to a lot of people. You mean my works are no good unless I have this faith in Jesus? Yes. Absolutely. And that's what it's talking about here. We need to be right with God. And the only way to be right with God is to conform ourselves to his word. This is the reliable testament of who God is, what he's done, and who he has purchased us to be. And if we find that our lives are not spent attending upon God's word, well, as Bob Dylan said, everybody's going to worship somebody. I know he didn't say it like that. What's the song? Everybody's got to serve somebody. I don't know. But the reality is humans are built for worship. We all, even atheists worship. We all worship things. The question is, is God, the living Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that the object of my worship or do I worship anything else? If I am not rooted daily in God's word, I am worshiping something else. I know every week, I, I, I'm i a broken record. I know it. I preach, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Come to Bible study, Thursday evening, 6.30. You should do it. We're going to do it online this week. I'm going to be in Tennessee. But come to it. I put a link on Facebook, on our, our Facebook page. Click on it. We talk about the Bible. You don't have to have any base level of knowledge. Anyway, I say the same thing every week because it's just as important this week as last week. If I'm not preaching repentance, if I'm not preaching reading your Bibles, if I'm not preaching denying yourself and following Jesus, then I am a charlatan preacher and I should not be in the pulpit. My job is not to, to, to please itchy ears who want to hear something new. I preach the same gospel every week, every month, every year, because the gospel doesn't change. If you read my uh, article I sent out on Friday, I talked about how anytime you turn on the news, the science has changed, right? And how frustrating that is. We're expected to live kind of schizophrenically. Oh, this is the thing we do now. No, nope, no, nope, new science, we do this thing now. Guess what? Religion never changes. The truth of our faith never changes. You open up your Bible, five years, ten years, twenty years from now, same exact message. And you look at Christians a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, a hundred years from now, until Christ comes, Christians are going to look the same. We're going to live the same. We're going to have the same principles. We're going to practice the same disciplines. There is nothing new under the sun, as it says in Ecclesiastes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is a comfort. Because a God who changes would be a terror to us. We'd be going, well, how do we follow him? Who is he now? We know who he is. We know who we're called to be. And our job is to attend upon God's law day and night and conform ourselves to what we find in there. Amen? Amen. Let's move on to our next reading. First Corinthians chapter 15. I have no setup for this. It's kind of complicated. Let's see if we can figure out what's the key doctrinal issue that Paul is, is arguing about.
3: Good morning. morning. Our third reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 15, verses 12 through 34, which you can find on page 1788 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitif- pitied. But Christ has, has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. But when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? if the dead are not raised. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God.
0: Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Is this a charming and whimsical way to correspond with people? Why on earth did people preserve his writings when he was so mean? Because it's the truth. The truth hurts. We need it. I remember when I got my nose broken... I had to get a rhinoplasty, get it fixed. That hurt, but it needed to happen. I know I'm not very good looking, but I'd be so much uglier if I hadn't gone through that. It'd be so hard on you guys. I, I'm i just so glad I went through that pain. That's a silly metaphor, but we will go through this for medical reasons. We will go through painful things. But for some reason, people imagine that religion is always supposed to be sunflower and roses and happy times. Then they don't know what to do when they open their Bibles and Jesus is kind of mean and not very happy all the time. Here, did you figure out what the key issue is that he's, he's arguing about in here? Preacher's wife, you can talk this time. The resurrection of the dead. Early Christians believed, and hopefully modern Christians believe, that there is a day coming called the day of the Lord when Christ returns bodily And all who have ever lived and died will be raised from the grave. They'll be coming out of the oceans. They'll be coming out of the realm of the dead. Everybody will receive a new resurrection body and there will be an eternal final judgment to salvation for those who are in Christ and to eternal damnation for those who are not in Christ. Hopefully what I'm talking about here is not a weird concept, but there have always been cultured despisers, some outside of the church, some inside of the church who said, oh, that's just fairy tales. (laughs) There's not going to be resurrection of the dead. When we're dead, we're dead. We follow Jesus because what he said is good life practice. But when we're dead, we're dead. Dead people don't come back to life. But you mean to tell me that worm food can come back together and be a human body? And the only faithful Christian response is yes, and you need to repent. Doesn't matter if your body was burned, if it was eaten by piranhas, it doesn't matter. Your body is going to be reconstituted and you will be judged and you will suffer bodily forever if you are not in Christ. Isn't that terrifying? And that's supposed to motivate us to do as we ought right now. But there are a lot of people who don't want to believe that. And they want to believe, oh, it doesn't really matter that much if, if I'm righteous day to day or if I'm holy day to day. God, he's not going to resurrect me. He's not going to punish me. He's not going to reward me either. I'm just, I'm going to live and then I'm going to be dead. And Paul says, what are you doing? Why are you in the church if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection? What do you think you're doing here? What's the purpose of what you're doing here? You don't believe in the bodily resurrection. You're just breathing the, the air in here. Why? He says, you guys have this practice of baptizing the dead. Apparently, whenever somebody died outside of Christ, they wanted them to be saved. So somebody would step and say, baptize me and hopefully it'll count for this other person. Now, we don't do that today because it's silly. And the Bible doesn't work that way. He's just saying, this is something you guys do. Why would you do that if you don't believe there's a resurrection? Okay. He says... Why would we have this lifestyle of being persecuted and risking death? I mean, following Jesus, Jesus' call is essentially follow me and die. He who would uh, follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. What does a cross do? It kills you painfully. Anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take, his cross, take up his cross, and follow me. That is not a smart way to live if this is the only life you've got. You know, YOLO, you only live once. If this is the only life we've got, he says, let us eat and drink for tonight. We we die. You know, that's that's something ancient pagans said who didn't believe in an afterlife. They just said life is about eating and drinking, getting as much pleasure as you can now because someday we're dead. And wouldn't you know it? That's how our culture lives. Let's get as much pleasure as we possibly can. Let's live as long as we possibly can. Let's fight off death as as desperately and crazily as we can. And then someday we'll die. But we just won't think about it because then it's just over. That is the religion that this country believes in. True religion believes that this is just the beginning. And that everything I do on a daily basis proceeds out to eternity. And my life is lived either as a testimony to the living Lord or it's lived as a testimony to the evil one. But there is no neutral way to go through life. And there is no way to go through life in a way that neither pleases nor upsets the Lord. In your daily life, you are either pleasing and serving him or you are spitting in his face. And that's it. And All of this hinges on a very core doctrinal principle the bodily resurrection of the dead There are a lot of people who get real fed up with with doctrine. They say don't give me doctrine. Just give me jesus Well, who is jesus? Tell me who jesus is and you're going to be doing theology. He's the only begotten son of the father Lived died and was resurrected and sits at the right hand of the father I mean you tell me who jesus is and you're doing theology and what paul says here is If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Are those fighting words? Your faith is useless. Coming and sitting in this, this, this pew every Sunday, giving your money to the church, getting your kids baptized in the church, all of that is useless if you don't have the right doctrine. Those are fighting words. Those are hurtful words. But we already covered this. Why are they preserved? Because they're true and we need to hear them. Doctrine matters. What we believe matters. And life is too short to be lived with bad doctrine. Our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, which you can find on page 1603 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. So time out. Is he blessing everyone who is hated for any reason? No, he's only blessing people who are hated for the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Very good. Okay. So if, you, if someone hates you because of your relationship with Jesus, good on you. All right. Verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you. That's a curse. Woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. This, to be honest with you, this is one of the most offensive portions of scripture to me. A lot of people read it and they don't feel threatened, and I don't know why. Because Jesus outright says, you're in bad shape. Your eternal fate is in bad shape if you're rich, you're well fed, you're happy, and everybody likes you. That's what we all want. These are, the four th- these are like the four core things everybody wants, you know? And then he blesses us if we are poor, hungry, sad, and hated. I think this, this scripture can create some kind of warped people, to be honest with you. The reality is we're born warped, right? We're born bent towards sinning. It, we, are, we are sinners, uh, profligate, unable to help ourselves, save ourselves. It takes a supernatural act from God to save us. Even so, the scriptures, if they're not held in the context of the whole testimony of scripture, I think they can warp us as well. I don't think Christ died to make us intentionally go out and starve ourselves and make people hate us and, and just be miserable. You know, you, you know what self-flagellation is? In, in medieval Europe, there were some people who, they believed that Christ just wanted us to suffer, so they'd make these whips that they would just whip their backs. They would walk through the streets and just self-flagellate, and it was, that was the way that they interpreted scriptures like this. I'm not sure they interpreted it correctly, to be honest with you. I think the reality is that if you're going to follow Jesus, suffering will come. I think the reason Jesus, you know, at one point Jesus said, he who um, desires to follow me, but... Does not hate father or mother, cannot be with me. I I butchered that, but at one point he says, Hate father and mother. He recommends it. Jesus, I mean, when you look at what comes before and what comes after, Jesus is not trying to make us hate our families. But he is trying to make sure that we choose God over our families. He said, Do not think I come to bring peace. I bring a sword. I come to divide father from son and mother against daughter. And he goes down this whole list of things. He says, he uses this extreme language for us to examine ourselves and go where are my priorities am i willing to be holy when it's going to cost me some money i think that's what he's saying bless, why he's saying blessed are the poor woe to you who are rich he's making us look at ourselves and go okay i'm kind of rich i mean by worldly historical standards we're all rich you know but even so some of us are richer than others okay well how is it that money is compromising my faith Maybe, maybe the answer is not at all. But I've generally found that the more, people, the more money people have, the more tightly they hold on to it and the more tempting it is to worship it. Or how about food and comfort? Am I willing to follow God if it's going to cost me my comfort? If I might not know where my next meal is coming from or I might not wear nice clothes? What about if my faith is going to get me hated, fired from my work? What if people I like are not going to like me? I lost my very best friend in the whole world because of my faith. He was the best man at my wedding. One day he just couldn't talk to me anymore. It hurts. I wish it hadn't been the case. But was it the wrong thing to choose Jesus over him? I think Jesus is making clear that this comes at a cost. Our faith comes at a cost, and it might cost us everything. And if we don't have those deep roots growing down to the water's edge, we're not going to make it. So the exhortation, wrapping up all the readings today, we need to have correct doctrine by meditating on God's word day and night. We need to grow deep roots so that we're constantly bearing fruit for God in every season. And we need to be willing to lose everything for the sake of gaining Christ. Is that a good place to leave it? Let's stand and remind ourselves of the mission and go forth to do it. Number 591, Rescue the Perishing.